Michelle! I have so many questions right off the bat. So there is a little bit of violence here. Is this show killing people? Like a whole bunch of people went to sleep and never woke up again. So I took the quiz. Oh, I have anxiety and depression. They're pretty bad. Yeah, I know. Thanks. Yes. I'm, I'm really jealous of people who don't have to listen to themselves all the time because I'm a lot. Is it because you're an android? Diamonds, Michelle. Okay, okay. Just feel like, you know what? I'm gonna give the kids something nice. I'm gonna give them the Yule Log. I'm so proud of us. For those of you who are like, my God, Michelle, you are too much. Chill out. It's McDonald's fault. Bad, 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 bad. Something good has to be coming. Hello, everybody. Hello, and welcome to Agreement with, with me, Catherine. And me, Michelle. And every fortnight, we do this podcast in which we bring you three things. A weird thing. A pop culture thing. And a research thing. And then we try to fit them all together in a way that makes in a, the world in a way. better. In a way. How many? This is episode 29, and we still haven't come up with like a fun tagline. Well, I just I th- feel like what we do is a little too amorphous for a fun tagline. That's true. That's I feel true. like put fit them together. Pause in a way is about as good as we can get. Yeah. Yeah. No value judgments. We put them together in a way. In a way. So this is episode 29. We're almost at episode 30. I feel like we need to do wild and I'm not sick of it at all. I don't know if you are listeners. I guess you can stop listening, but we are going to keep making them. It's doing what it's supposed to, which really is not to be content for anyone to consume, but a way for Michelle and I to talk to each other. So it's been great for that. We have this meeting. Fantastic. I love it. I love knowing that that there won't just be heavy size, but we have things. to say. So let's, let's, let's sink into it even deeper. And I go first, let's do our weird things, weird things. Now I switched at the last minute, my weird thing. I was going to talk about the Olympics and the Olympic cross country skier who had his genitals frozen. Anyway, I'm cutting all that out. I just wanted to tell you, I I decided to up the level and I'm not going to, for like a third week in a row, talk about genitals and things like that. So thank you for your discretion. (laughs) Just keep that in mind. (laughs) It could have been worse. (laughs) When I do get to my weird thing, because now that I have to say it out loud, and I'm not just like in bed cackling quietly to myself. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work. So I was up one night watching TikTok instead of sleeping because like that's healthy. Exactly. Like we all do. 
And there was a TikTok video that was like, history and time are so weird, you guys. We, you know, it's all a construct, which I very much believe in. Like, we have to know how history is constructed. I'm like, where are you going with this TikTok star? I'm, I'm in. But then they said, here's how we know how weird history is. Think about this. And I can't stop thinking about this. So George Washington, first president of the United States, a Pisces, happy Pisces season right now. He died December 14th, 1799. The first dinosaur bones ever discovered were discovered in 1815. So George Washington never knew that dinosaurs existed. And there's something about that that just lights up my whole imagination and brain and just tickles me and makes me laugh and laugh and go, the world, what is the world? What is time? To just just think that our country was founded by people who didn't know what dinosaurs were. Now I realized it was also founded by people who owned slaves and did tons of horrible things. And so there are many reasons why we should not believe in like constitutional originalism, many good reasons, but I want to put a new reason for it, which is how can we have a rule of law and governance built by people who didn't know that dinosaurs ever existed? It's just stupid. And I think we need to just overthrow the government and build a new government based primarily on dinosaurs. Well, okay. So I know that you're saying this like facetiously, like, haha, isn't this cute? But like legitimately understanding that dinosaurs existed and then got wiped out of existence (gasps) is an important thing to have in perspective if you're up on your high horse about, oh, look at what an important species we are. Certainly we're going to continue to exist because, okay, so your story reminds me of, I was, I went hiking with my daughter and it was super cold, but we had been, we've been trying to get these hikes in. It's one of our goals for the year. And it's been cold every single weekend because it'll be like 60 degrees on the days I have to work. And then it'll be negative 15 on the days that I'm off. And it is starting to feel very personal, but (laughs) that's, that's not the point I was trying to make. So we went hiking, even though it was really cold and the hike, the lake that we were hiking around was mostly frozen. And there were all of these geese on it and they just looked so miserable because they were standing (laughs) on the ice, like all fluffed up, trying to stay warm. And, you know, geese are already kind of cranky anyway. And they just looked particularly cranky and they were like, you know, they all move their heads in unison as you walk. And I'm like, they're like, are we going to get you? No, I'm going to sit here on my ice and glare. And I was like, man, you know, they used to be raptors and now look at them. And I'm like, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be cranky too. It's like, I, I used to run this. <laughs> you mammal, you don't even know what I could do to you. Uh, yeah. Like dinosaurs as a whole are wild. And then I think you are right that like to understand like building empire and what is humankind's place in the world, that maybe dinosaurs need to uh, take us down a notch. This could all and, end. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, it could be gone. George Washington did not know that. And not only did George Washington not know that, it gets worse. It gets more like, oh, humans are the best. Because, well, technically, the first bones that were known to be dinosaur bones, like they said, this is from this kind of creature, were discovered in 1815. 
the first actual dinosaur bone was discovered in 1677. So that's Did they think well it was like before. A, a dragon or something? They thought it was a giant human. Oh. But that goes to your you're point. If you're powerful, right, it must have been a human. <laughs> exactly. But it goes to your point that that's all, right? That's all they can think about. They can just be like, well, it was bigger humans because we're so great. Those people should not be in charge of how we live our GD lives right now. Well, Take that to the Supreme Court gone amok right now with power. Whatever <laughs> the equivalent of TikTok is in a hundred years. I don't know. You, you probably won't have to hold anything. You'll just like blink enough and new things will come up in front of your head or whatever. Um, but like, they're going to be saying that about us. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> these people were making decisions and they didn't even know that I'd fill in the blank with some, you know, I was just laughing to myself going, yeah, someday people are going to say, did you know Barack Obama never knew what like andinoctoids were? Oh my God. No. Didn't even know. Can you believe it? How did he get to be resurrected and be president four more times? What a farce they lived in. <sighs> so yeah, that just that's really it. That's my weird thing is that just think about it. George Washington went to his grave not knowing dinosaurs existed. And then just for a fun fact, the person who did discover um Robert Plott discovered the first dinosaur bone, but thought it was a giant human. The first person to say, no, this is a dinosaur was Professor William Buckland from Oxford. And I just thought this was very fun. Um, as we're both teachers, we've both taught at universities. Um, he was a university professor and he was known to have a very colorful personality with his teaching. And he was said to teach like a Frances a Franciscan preacher. And one of the stories a student of his had was during a class, he paced up and down the lecture hall holding a hyena skull and just would throw it in students' faces and make it shout at them, what rules the world? What was the and right answer? The, the right, the right answer was the stomach. <laughs> <laughs> So that's the guy that said, yeah, no, not giant humans. I trust him. I like him. <laughs> Hyena skull. Who rules the world? I mean, Beyonce needs to remake that song now and say the stomach, the stomach. The stomach. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's my weird thing. Right. My weird thing is... <clears throat> The nocebo effect. Have you heard of this? No. Okay. So I assume you've heard of the placebo effect because yes. most of us have. Um, I don't know if you, how aware you are of the placebo effect and its depths, which are real wild. Like there's, there have been experiments that, you know, like that are backed up with science that people can like trick themselves into getting the impact of uh actual drugs just by like like for instance if they like use a particular cup that is a particular color from a particular place that really does have the drug in it but then they take the drugs out of it and they continue to use that thing they can trick the body into like doing wow. biologically what that drug did without having to actually use the drug so it's like you know you can you, you can make your body believe things with your mind right and actually um, have like a like a physical effect that's amazing so 
as amazing as that is, the flip side of it is the nocebo <gasps> effect. No, is this what I think it is? No, bad bodies. Stop it, bodies. So the nocebo effect has been found that people can trick themselves into believing that they are having side effects from medications that they are not taking or that the conditions that they are in are harming them when it is not harming them. And it is a serious problem that recent studies have found is very widespread. I got to this because I don't know how I ended up thinking about this, but I ended up Googling at night, can you die from pain? <laughs> I was not in pain at the time. It wasn't, it wasn't a personal question. I wasn't, I wasn't wondering about my own imminent demise. Um, I just but, like that the listeners are getting a real look into what we do in the middle of the night. Just uh, George Washington and dinosaurs. Can you die? Pain? <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't ever really find out a good answer, whether you can die from pain or not. It's quite debated. That's um, such a good question. Did you, do you know from- you can, di- can die from laughing? Oh. I saw a conference talk once by Maggie Hennefeld where she talked about women going into like hysterical laughing fits and dying Is it from like it lack for of oxygen? real. Like what? I don't know. I don't know. I guess I don't. And is it like uncontrollable laughter? Like, cause I'm like, you know, yeah, you, it was like a go, hysteric, like, yeah, but not like thing. fun laughter. Like, like not mm, fun. Yeah. I don't think I'm on board with that. I was gonna say, you, you gotta go anyway, laughing. Well, so speaking of like placebo effects, uh, I have a, a friend who does laughter yoga. Have you heard about this? Yes. And so you can trick your brain into producing, I think it's the, is it endorphins that it produces when you laugh or is it serotonin? Mm-hmm. I always confuse which is which which things produce what. Probably endorphins, I would think. Probably that seems more exercise related. Listen to us and our neurology expertise. It's certainly <laughs> endorphins. Um, <laughs> some feel good thing in your brain um, that like laughter produces, like genuine laughter. When you are things, something is funny and you are laughing at it, it produces the feel good endorphins in your brain. And so research has found that you can mimic that experience by fake laughing, by just going through the motions of laughing. So if you, and so there is a whole field of laughter yoga that is people practicing laughing in different ways so that you get those feel goods and then you get to go about your day. So it's like, you know, you get together and we're like, okay, now we're going to laugh like this. Now we're going to laugh like this. And like, it works. It makes people feel better. That's fascinating. There's so much stuff about like, about emotions and um, affect and do we feel a certain way because we have the emotion? Do we have the emotion because we have a, feel a certain way? Is it a physical thing? Is it a mental thing? And of course, mind-body divide is kind of bullshit, but there's someone named Paul Ekman who was like, you can, and he had trained all his facial muscles. He could control them and make like any face he wanted. And he really believed That if you made the face, like now I'm making a sad face, now I'm making a happy face, whatever, you would eventually feel that emotion. So if there's, that's interesting. So here I am up in the middle of the night, Googling, um, can pain kill you? Don't know. There's a debate on whether, because shock can kill you. And so there's a debate on whether that, because you can go into shock because you were in so much pain. So it's kind of semantic. Like, is that pain killing you or is that shock killing, you know, okay. So, but anyway, that took me down a rabbit hole and that is how I ended up learning about nocebos. So nocebos is, I mean, it's the same effect as a placebo, but instead of you getting the good effects of a drug, you get the, you get negative side effects without ever actually having consumed that thing. And so they have found 
um, that just the way that doctors describe the procedures can impact how people feel about them. And so, um, for instance, let me let me pull up the article that I was reading so I can give you some specific examples. So this is an article from uh, the Smithsonian Magazine that I, I'll put so we can put it in the show notes. So one of the examples was, um, <clears throat> this was a meta study of 31 empirical studies and they found out that it's really common and they're now telling doctors like, you need to be aware of this. You have to decide how to mm. handle this because it brings up all of these ethical concerns because it's like well you want you want patients to be informed about what could happen to them but just saying these words could make it more likely that it happens and so is it unethical to not inform patients about these potential side effects if what you're doing it for is to hopefully prevent them from having the side effects and so um, one experiment found that there were 50 people who suffered from chronic back pain and they were given a flexibility test they told half of them beforehand that the test might cause them quite a bit of pain and the other half they did not. And afterward, the group that they said that to reported higher levels of pain. And I was like, well, maybe they just felt more comfortable talking about it because you had already like Ooh, reached yeah. the subject. So I was a little like, meh, can we really know that? But then um, th similarly, they gave a drug for prostate disease and they told half of the patients that it might cause erectile dysfunction and the other half they told them they didn't tell them anything and 44% of the first group said that they'd experienced erectile dysfunction dysfunction compared to 15% of the uninformed group which is a pretty big difference again yeah. i wondered like maybe just knowing that like especially if it's a topic that there's some um, stigma around that maybe right. if they weren't the ones who brought it up first that made them more likely to say it um but this one this one blew my mind so there was a person who tried to die by suicide by swallowing 26 pills that they thought were a high dose of a drug that would kill them, but it wasn't. They were just sugar pills. They were placebo tablets, but their blood pressure dropped dangerously low and they required injections of fluids to be stabilized because they believed that they had taken a drug that would kill them. And oh they my gosh. can't know for sure if they would have died without interventions, but their blood pressure was low enough that they required interventions to stabilize them. Whoa. Um, and they found that even just saying the words sting, burn, hurt, bad, or pain made patients feel more discomfort because just the association with those words. And then there was, um, and it doesn't just have to be coming from a medical professional. Like they, they, these are like contagious. So this is from an article from the BBC uh, that said that there were a hundred students that were being taken up to the, in the Italian Alps to an altitude of 9,800 feet. And a few days beforehand, one of the people taking them up there told them about altitude sickness and told them that it could cause migraines. So by the day of the trip that they had all kind of gossiped and talked about this and um, they began to suffer, the people who had heard about it suffered worse headaches and had exaggerated responses to low oxygen conditions in their saliva. Wow. And they called it like social infection. So um, it's just really, and they think that this might be behind wind turbine sickness. So some people think that they're getting sick from living near wind farms yeah. and some people, uh, believe that their cell phones make them sick. 
and uh, they think that this might be the phenomenon that's behind this and that it also might have caused the dancing plague of 1518 um and the june bug epidemic in an american textile factory in the 1960s where people were experiencing dizziness and vomiting even though this poisonous insect that they thought was infecting them was never identified or found huh and bodies are wild just wild so yeah that's, that's my so weird thing weird. no sibos man, man. If, if your brain's strong enough to give you the positive impacts of a placebo i guess it's strong enough to give you the negatives of a nocebo and there's research that suggests that it doesn't even have to be conscious that it could be triggered by subliminal cues do you think but, you've ever been noceboed by your own body i mean almost certainly right yeah well so they say that um the weather does not impact your joints or like um if you have if you have like because i have i have a metal what? ankle right like yeah. I, I broke my ankle and it's been put back together i have like screws and a metal plate in my ankle and i am certain that it hurts when the weather changes like i i am certain but like doctors say no that's not true that doesn't that doesn't happen and i'm like okay well it's happening to me but maybe it's a nocebo nocebo that's wild <laughs> I see. I'm seeing pre-connections. And now let's yeah. throw a spanner in the works. Okay. Let's do my pop culture. Um, for my pop culture, I have um, my note that I took to remind myself of what I want to do. Just says, all caps, italicized, butlers in love, what the hell? Okay. So butlers in love, what the hell? What the hell? What the Basically, hell? I'm back on my, I'm back on my BS watching some <laughs> Watching some Hallmark movies, everyone. If I started remember, watching Love is Blind season two. I can't judge you. I am waiting to watch it, but I did watch Too Hot to Handle season three. I'm not. So. I am out on that. I am Too Hot to Handle was too something for me. I did have this. Then I'll spoil it for you. Yeah, spoil it away. Season three. This was the first season on Too Hot to Handle, which is a show where they trick people into thinking they're on just like a Love Island dating show in a tropical locale. And then they tell them you can't have any physical contact, romantic contact, no sexual and, contact. And these people act as if they've been told they are no longer allowed to breathe oxygen. Right. Just, yeah, what? <laughs> you can't do this. Um, and when they do it, there's different fines, like kissing is this amount of money, heavy petting is this amount of money, on and on. Even holding hands, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, this season, they really had to oh, loosen the rules. Hey, like, obviously. the first season ever where they they got to zero. They lost all their money. And it made me think that the best idea for a TV show would be too hot to handle, colon, debtor's prison, where you can actually go into debt on the show and, and go past zero to where you owe production and Netflix money. And that's a whole spinoff where they have to work that debt off. Somehow. So we can, we can like use, use like the, the horniest people in America yes. to fund like really creative projects that don't make money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All these kinds of things. Yeah. It would really help. Yeah. I think that's my, that's my, um, 
two cents. That's my, when we start our new dinosaur knowledge-based government, that's going to be a founding principle of it is bring back debtors prison, but only for people so horny, they can't keep money in their pockets. They can't. I mean, not to judge, of a reality not to show. judge. No, but, I mean, yeah. if it were like for life, you can't have any physical contact. I understand, but it has to be, it's being, no more than two weeks. That show is a week of this very artificially constructed set full of strangers. Like this isn't like, oh, this your soulmate you can't touch again. It's like, oh, you just happen to be around some strangers you can't. I mean, coming this far into a pandemic, that that doesn't really sound that ridiculous to me. <laughs> Maybe we yeah. shouldn't be touching all the strangers. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that said, I am watching Hallmark movies again. And I watched this one for Valentine's Day. And it was called Butlers in Love. And that title was so intriguing to me that I needed to watch the movie Butlers in Love. And I sat down, I snuggled up, got ready for what I thought would be a typical Hallmark movie. And then this Hallmark movie, just, I felt like I was having a stroke. I felt like I was having a capitalist hellscape propaganda fueled stroke. And I need you to work through this movie with me, Michelle. I'm going to read you from Hallmark what this movie is about. And it does. It sounds like a very typical, if a little odd, they're running out of like settings and materials, Hallmark movie. So ever since she learned of the International Butler Academy, Emma has dreamed of attending the school and joining the ranks of the world's elite butlers. But earning a spot is no picnic. Butler school can be harder to get into than law school, she says in a preview for the movie. Emma is delighted when she's accepted into the academy. But once she arrives, things aren't quite what she imagined. The go-it-alone Emma struggles in an environment where teamwork is everything. Plus, she clashes with Henry, who she thinks has an attitude because he comes from a family of royal butlers. Meanwhile, royal butlers. butlers. Meanwhile, Henry is frustrated because he wants to be a chef, not a butler, a goal that his family doesn't understand. As Emma and Henry get to know each other, she begins to realize the value of working with others instead of trying to do everything herself. At the same time, she encourages Henry to find a way to get his family to support his dreams. Gradually, their connection spurs Emma to reevaluate what she wants out of life. And they fall in love, right? They fall in love. So this is a movie about a young woman. Hallmark movies are oftentimes young woman, big dreams in the city learns that the only thing that's worthwhile in life is love. And so this case, her big dreams are being a butler. And I don't want to ever sound judgmental, like all, you know, I don't want to sound like Grimes who couldn't even think of any like minimum wage job and made up a thing about blueberry farmers. So I'm not downplaying any kind of work or any kind of goals for work, but this movie was insane because she does. And I don't know, I, I tried to do some research into Butler school, but she does say things like this school is harder to get into than law school. And maybe that's true. I don't know. She's applied year after year to get into Butler school. Can't get in. She finally gets in. Butler school is so hard. They kick people out left and right. And it's just, everyone is there 
like this is um, not even a job, but like such a privilege. It's not ever addressed as work. It's addressed as like a higher purpose, a higher calling, almost like running off and being a nun or a priest. It gets, it's that level of just reverence for buttling. And the number of times this movie does use the word but buttle and buttling make, made me laugh that the characters had to keep saying buttle, buttle, buttle. So it just came off as absolutely because she keeps having to talk about why she wants to be a butler. And then she goes to butler school and everyone's just talking about how being a butler is the greatest thing in the world. There is no higher calling. It's so great. And it started when she went to butler school just being unhidden, not even trying to veil it, just an advertisement for Butler School, which was weird to me. I can't quite put my finger on why it was so weird, but I did find out that there are a few Butler schools in the world. It's a real thing. There's the American Butler School, which is in upstate New York. And the front page of that website just screams at you in all caps. It's a pleasure being a butler. Okay. And then I learned from butlerschool.com, which is the website for the International Butler Academy, which is considered the best butler school in the world. And this movie did copy like the set of that looked exactly like this school. Everything they did was from this school. It's a private estate in the Netherlands and you go and you pay them for a 10 week course so that you can be a certified butler. So butler school is the real thing. And all of the writing on the Butler School websites are like verbatim used in this movie. So this is, there's something happening. Like the Butler lobby is now paying for propagandistic movies. And I just kind of want to know. To what end? To what end? Well, I mean, you know, they say that it's that the great, everybody's quitting and nobody wants jobs. Maybe, maybe the Butlers have been hard hit and they're like, look, this is. We got to rally the troops. We can't have these empty Butler school chairs. I just, I felt like it was just training me to want something that will be more necessary in the future. Like just everyone at our level, the best we can hope for in the upcoming dystopia of like such wealth and equity is to maybe serve someone super wealthy. So and they're we just can, like, so hey, some scraps might fall our way occasionally. Exactly. That like, because they just kept talking so, about, well, you get to be next or, to the most interesting people in the world and you're taking care of them. And what could be better than helping to make their lives easier? Yeah. If you can just make their lives a little better, then your life is rich. And like, that's what this movie was. Or is it like a pre-nostalgia for the time when humans did work that very soon is going to be <gasps> automated and there's just it's coming for everything and there's going to be robot butlers or maybe elon musk is like i have so many kids you guys and there just is not enough good butlers to serve my kids in the next generation i need to go invest in some propaganda and i'm not doing a good job of explaining how insane this movie was but it just was it, it just felt like, like i was watching plot felt like a very secondary to this like very secondary be great to be a butler don't you want to be a butler it was it was an ad for being a butler and how great being a butler is um it was kind of funny that 
the man in it who came from a long line of butlers just wanted to be a chef. And he was like, because when you're a butler, you have no life of your own. I'm like, dude, do you know what it is to be a chef? Right. So there's a stratification of the hospitality industry where you're like, yeah, I mean, I assume that there probably is. So, yeah, it was very confusing. And I just, I want everyone to go watch it so they can be confused. And then go, what the hell? Why? Why are we getting force-fed butler propaganda? And I guess it is. It's either it's either like really being like we're going to need butlers in the future, or like you said, some sort of nostalgia for humans, humans, human labor. Oh, the good old days when we could be served by human labor. I don't know who it's for. I don't know who the audience for this film is. It's not me. I it hurt Ooh, my head. That's a very good connection to my pop culture thing. Okay. Okay. So what's your pop culture? So my pop culture thing is um I watched most of the Super Bowl. I didn't really care because the team that my family roots for was eliminated the oh. round before. And I just want to say I don't follow football much, but I do know like I hate the Rams. Oh, I, I can't, I can't even talk about, I can't even talk about the fact Mm -mm. that the Rams won because I am from St. Louis and they did us dirty and I am not okay with it. And so I'm just not, we're not, um, I keep saying, kept saying these things like the only, the only States in the country rooting for the Rams. They kept showing Missouri. I'm like, no, like, do you know, like, no, we are not every single person that I know in the city of St. Louis was hoping that all of the Rams, like vanished while on the field like I mean we 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 were not only not rooting for them we wanted like something terrible to happen it it was really not a good reflection on us as human beings it was not it was we were very angry um but anyway that's beside the point so I was watching some of the Super Bowl primarily for the halftime show which I don't care what anybody says was fantastic and I'm very much enjoying my moment of being in the demographic that has disposable income because that's right. I'm like, yes. Oh, Michelle. Do I'm I get sorry. three years of this? Cause yes, <laughs> like, we have just, it's like really hit very much enjoyed being catered to in that, <laughs> in, in that, in that moment. Right. Like in that, in that halftime show, I was looking at like, you know, people are like, what is this? This isn't even music. And I'm like, nope, it's not for you anymore. You're, <laughs> they've put you out to pasture. It is, it is our time. <laughs> like, here we are. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's an interesting feeling. Oh man. Yeah. And I'm sure it won't last, but I guess we're just going to enjoy our halftime shows while we can. But anyway. Yep. So this is not about the halftime show. That is not my pop culture thing. Because all I have to say about that is it was delightful, except I could have done without 50 Cent because I was never a 50 Cent fan. But all the rest of them were phenomenal. Um, Candy shop is so, okay. No? No. Okay. (laughs) The look Michelle just gave me was like I had just been, I don't know. The look, it's like I just said, hey, Michelle, here's a good idea. Why don't we go? I don't even know. I can't. There aren't words for the look you just gave me. <laughs> so I, I want to talk about that meta to the meta. What, what's the, I can't even think of the metaverse. Oh, my God. No, it's not a verse. Oh. It's not the verse, though. It, I mean, it is, but it's their. Is it the Oculus Meta Quest 2? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see this commercial? 
Um, yeah, because you shared it, and I'm so upset with you that I had to watch it. Well, and now um, I showed it. it. So- I showed it to my husband, and he just he 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 took both his hands like this and went, "No, <laughs> no, I will not stand by and watch that. I will not live in this world where that is a thing." So, okay, <laughs> the thing that made me be like, "Okay, well, these are going to be really well connected," is because you said, "Who is this for?" about the butlers and love who is that commercial for okay because it opens up with the song the song from um breakfast club that is uh don't don't you you forget about which i don't even know because breakfast club is a little too early for us so so, but i mean this had a very so there was a whole fight over whether the um halftime show was for gen x or millennials like there was a battle in, in, that, that made it into my Facebook feed because I have a lot of, so I am a millennial um, by like four years because I, I think that they start millennials at like being born in like 1981 and I was yeah. born in, in 1985. So I am squarely a millennial, but I am an old millennial, right? Like I am, and when people use the term millennial, they just mean people who are younger than me and they've said, yeah. somehow forgotten that we are now like nearly 40 years old. I'm like, we're really not children we're not the (laughs) the kids anymore but um gen x has a very legitimate claim to just being utterly ignored yeah by everyone (laughs) and they're they'll even like show these charts that are like that literally show all of the generations and gen x just isn't there like the years that they're born just like they just just don't even put them on the list so they were trying to claim the halftime show as theirs. And they're like, look, look at the years that all these people were born or whatever. I'm like, okay, all of those songs came out between 1997 and 2002. Like all of the songs that they played, like those were the years that I was in high school. And like, like, so I'm not saying like, can't we share this one? Right. Okay. But so, yeah, so I was a little too young to get breakfast club as breakfast club. So I could see like, this is probably aimed at like Gen X, but it's also, it's Chuck E. Cheese and that's right. solidly us. Should we summarize the ad a bit in case? Yes. Yes. Before I do my, what about this third In, in level? case our seven listeners have not yeah. seen it. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what? There's the, there's the breakfast club. The breakfast robots club Chuck E. Cheese. What? So it <laughs> opens showbiz, up. Or showbiz pizza. How old are you? Oh, that's a good pizza. <laughs> where a kid can be a kid. So it opens up with a Chuck E. Cheese like setting and there's this animatronic what is it is it like a bear it's, it's ratty bear like some sort of it has giant ra- rounded ears but is not a cat some sort of animatronic animal on stage with some other animatronic animals and then like the music's playing it's all nice and ha- upbeat and happy and the lights cut off and then you see people like taking the animals out obviously and then the the shop shuts down isn't that sad right um and then the animal goes through multiple different iterations in life like it's used as like a prop for a while um it's used as it it keeps getting kind of sold and used in different ways getting sadder and sadder at some point it falls off a truck and is in the rain and is getting muddy and then it's about to be crushed by a um like compactor and so it's like oh no wait and they pull it out and they take it to some sort of museum or like science centery thing and set it up as a as a sign like pointing to an to an exhibit and there are some 
young people in the background using a MetaQuest 2 head, like headset, like the glasses, and then somebody goes by like, we're closing up. So they put it on the animatronic machine, who then is taken back to being on the stage that they opened up with. And then it, it was all these shots to the other animals who were on the screen, also wearing the headsets. And they're all like jamming together to the song as if they're back on that stage, even though they're each individually in their own little personal reunited health. right it, personal <laughs> health it's very sad they're reunited in their glory but then it it does the really disturbing thing of cutting to each of them alone in their sad spots flailing their arms doing the actions that they're not really doing and then the tagline is old friends new fun so it okay made me very go ahead sad. what it is the what is so the sad it made me like I was so upset after watching it. And not it. sad in the way they wanted, not like no, emotional, no. like, oh, how good for it. No, but like, oh, So what, what is the potential Gen Z so reach out, though? We have solidly millennial with I feel like Chuck E. Cheese. I get the Gen X with like, don't forget about me. But did you see on the internet making the rounds, I think last year maybe, where someone was like way out in the desert in the middle of nowhere, and found a dilapidated half like skin falling off Chuck E. Cheese mouse. I feel like in I have the a desert memory of this. And so that was very much picked up by like the kids. We're okay. not the kids anymore. The kids picked that up on the internets. Um, so I feel like they, they were trying to span all these things, but also be like, oh, remember, because they basically recreated when that robot is kind of wet and sad and then getting crushed in a junkyard. It was very much like ripping off that kind of pop culture moment that happened last year where someone found it and everyone was nostalgic for Chuck E. Cheese showbiz. But it was just like, what are they doing? So, yeah. So, so the message of this. If, if there's a different message, please tell me. But I believe the message of this is everything you love is dead or dying, but you can pretend it isn't. Yeah. Can I, is, can I spin that any better than, like, is there a better read? I, mean, I think that's the most generous read. Everything you love is dead and dying, including you. Including you. Including you and your body. But you can ignore it for a while. Yeah. <gasps> This is like pre-connection of butlers in love where they're priming us to all be butlers for Elon Musk's kids. But right, aren't they priming us to be like, like maybe if the technology comes, right? To just, we'll all live on in the cloud. They're like, no, look, look how great it can be. And I think it's interesting because from what I have, I did not research it that much because certainly this did not make me want a MetaQuest 2, but I don't think they exist yet. Like, I think they're just prototypes. Like, I don't think you can even actually buy it or it doesn't do what they say that it does yet. Like a lot of it is just banking on the potential and that it does is not actually doing the things that they show it doing yet. That sounds right for where we are with like these, these guys. And then like, it, it just, I don't, I mean, it all just seems so very, dystopic but you're not being honest about how dystopic it is like 
And so I was talking to a friend about it. It feels like we're living in a Black Mirror episode, but it has none of the style. It's like if Hallmark, (laughs) if Hallmark was making episodes of Black Mirror, that's our world right now. That's so depressing. (laughs) So, but I was thinking about it and I was like, um, because I actually, this will come up again, but I'm reading, this is going to come up in my research thing, spoiler, pre, pre, pre pre-connection. I'm reading and I think I mentioned it before, I'm reading Sapiens with a group of like 11 year olds. And so we were, there's a whole section in there about how people went from being nomadic to being agriculturalists, though, as we've talked about in our last episode, our understanding of human nature continues to shift in gigantic ways every year. So who knows if any of that is true, but let's say that humans did, the theory is that, you know, um, some, it was a slow process, right? Like we didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I would rather plant these plants and not walk around and find them. But we kind of became almost enslaved to wheat because we became so dependent on it. And we had so many children that we needed enough food to feed them. And so then we couldn't leave. And, but, but like they, they talk about in the book, like not everybody adapted or adopted, I guess, not everybody became agriculturalists like some people maintain a nomadic way of life in fact there are small 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 subsets of humans who still maintain a nomadic way of life like oh we also just finished reading the eagle huntress which is about um the kazakh girl Mm. who won the eagle hunting competition and her family is still semi-nomadic and travels with their animals in mongolia and so um but those people get like you don't, you don't need everybody to adopt a new way of life for it to become the dominant way of life. And so I was thinking about this with this, like, okay, let's imagine for a moment that MetaQuest 2 can do what it says it's going to do, right? I'm not convinced that it does, but let's say that you really could just live in a teeny little one room house that has, you know, enough food to keep you alive and a bed to sit on while you watch your goggles and a bathroom or whatever like you wouldn't or need maybe a, not a bathroom call back to earlier episodes do you need a bathroom do you need a oh, yeah, you need a right. toilet really you need a toilet yeah maybe not <laughs> um and so so what if enough people say yes please and maybe and I can imagine a world in which housing prices are so out of control that you can't afford to live in a nice place so it looks more and more attractive to escape into some virtual reality goggles or it's too hot outside to go outside. So you have to like, I can imagine a world in the not too distant future where making the choice to escape into a virtual reality will feel like a logical choice, right? Where you're like, this existence is miserable. My, I can't afford an indoor space suitable for living and I can't go outdoors. So I am just going to sit in this teeny tiny room and put these goggles on my head, right? Like I can, and I mean, call back to another earlier episode where you talked about that architectural nightmare where there were no like windows. And right, the-, the dorm room, yeah. And so like, you could imagine a reality in which people quite logically and without, you know, having even bought into some sort of like they're just like okay fine I'll put this on this is better than what I have to deal with but if enough people do that then there is no reality like you know you can't be a holdout on your own you're just gonna get left behind like that that's where like the economy will take place that's where creation creation of new ideas will take place and like you will be 
some relic and like what if our kids do it but we don't like I don't want to like not I don't want to not be able to talk to my kids because they're living in the metaverse and I'm not like yeah I just can see it it, and this commercial did not make me feel good about it if this was supposed to make me be like oh yeah sign me up for that so who was this for who who was this for is my question I I do think it was definitely for us I mean the showbiz pizza thing the fact that that I think they were like oh that was really hot when they found that old rat and everyone had a lot of love for it but what if we can make them restored back to their glory days but it was it 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 is both perfectly placed and totally misplaced like because the what the point is i am yeah the point is supposed to induce mass nostalgia and then feelings of sadness and then oh it's oh, there's a fix. all good in the end. Yes, yeah. it's fixed and like reclamation, but it doesn't. It, and it does it. You can see that arc. You can see they're trying to do that, but it's it's um, it's like uncanny valley of emotions for that, where it just becomes so and it's not I'm not saying the robots are uncanny. I'm not saying the technology is uncanny. I'm saying the emotional points they're trying to hit are in the uncanny valley to where they are monstrous and we don't want to look at them. Right, right. That think that that you think that that would make me feel happy really disturbs me. Like why would it make me feel happy to think that I could escape this like let me show you how bleak things are, but you can imagine they aren't is not a fun message. No. No, and I don't think anyone wants I don't know anyone that wants a message right now. And then, like you said, even if it's somebody did want that message, you can't go out and buy it. And then to your other point, if you're going to have to buy in, the meta stuff is owned by Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, right? And that's like exactly what happened with Facebook. So many people didn't want to be on Facebook and held out. And then it was like, and luckily I think that you don't have to be on Facebook anymore, but that's just because there's so many other things. But I remember there was a time where I was like, well, no, I'm not going to get off Facebook because otherwise I don't know when people's birthdays are. I don't know when people are doing things. There was a big moment in our lives where it's like you would be left out and not be able to go interact with real world events. And if you own a own a small business or have any sort of like professional presence and you don't have largely Facebook, like Facebook, like if if people are searching for you and you don't have a Facebook page, that makes them feel like you're not legitimate. Like even if that doesn't. So it's not that weird or difficult to imagine that the meta verse will do that. If Facebook has, has so successfully done that, and this is a Facebook company, um, why not? And I don't like that, but I don't think it's inevitable. And I know actually they're losing a lot of stock and Mark Zuckerberg is in some trouble for throwing everything at well, this. But- and usually the first I mean, this isn't the first iteration. I got some people like, at least in Second Life, we had legs. So, (laughs) right? This isn't even the first. There was VR chat. VR chat was a big thing. I stay up at night sometimes watching TikTok videos of how awful it is to be a meta. um, The people who like are are the referees of the metaverse. I don't meta mates. I think he wants to call them. Have you seen? No. So there are people in the metaverse who are real world human beings who have to sit with their goggles on and kind of referee and make sure the rules are enforced. But yeah, VR chat has existed for a long time and they you have likes in that. 
And from the glitchy TikTok videos I've seen, this isn't any better than old iterations of VR chat. Not really. I mean, maybe the user experience is better. I haven't used it, but. Well, they're certainly not advertising the user experience to be better. Goodness. No. No, here's why it's awful. You're right. They don't show you much of anything. There's only like one second clip of what the metaverse is actually like. In legless, that it's just it's just legless little legless people. Torsos it's, floating around. They are not selling you the experience of the metaverse. They are threatening you with, with reality. Real, with reality becoming so awful that you have no other choice. And that's why that ad is untenable. Yes. yes. It's not an ad for it. It's a threat it's a, into yeah. it. Yeah. What else are you going to do? Yeah. What else you got? Our I'm research so thing is going to bring fun. all that back up again in a totally nerdy way. Oh, I'm excited. Way. Okay, I'm going to try. I did not. Um, I'm going to be transparent that I didn't do as much research on my research thing as I wanted to do, but. It's a very interesting topic. I think everyone should go do research on it. And, and it does. T- you, you get what you, it's certainly worth your money for that you're paying for our podcast. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> worth every penny. Every penny. Every penny. So, <laughs> and it ties in so well that I think I'm just going to keep it short and sweet and let us make lots of connections. So my mine is not going to be thing, short and sweet. So that's good. Cause right, I'll be. I'm going to, I'm going to ramble for Nice. Until you're like, Michelle, can we yeah, you can bring it back a little bit now? I'll Just give kidding. you the, the 50 cent candy shop look. <laughs> it was worse than that. I wish you could. Have well, I can't, it. I can't recreate it now. That was my honest. You caught me off guard. I wasn't prepared <laughs> for that. Genuine. Just horror and judgment. Okay. So. My research is about, um, I've been, I read an article last week that made me think of an article I had read a few months ago and I want to connect them all. And basically it all has to do again with like dystopian hellscape we live in, um, driven by electroceuticals. So electroceuticals, do you know what those are? No. It's kind of a very broad term. Electroceuticals are, it's just a broad term for um, sorts of implant technology, medical implant technology, mostly put into your brain and um, like hormone regulation stuff. Well, think one of the most topical examples right now, the first time this was ever used was in someone's eye in the seventies. So it's pretty old, but um, right now I think it's most in the news for Elon Musk's Neuralink, which is where he's putting, you know, chips into animals' brains. And it just came out, of course it did, that like those animals are suffering horribly. Like he, it is not ethical. It's not good what he's doing to them when he's putting chips in their brains. But basically I'm oversimplifying to say it's like chips in your brains, but it's like that. It's implanting um, machine technology, usually for medical purposes into your brain. I think Elon Musk is using it um, for like kind of telepathy things and so that the animals can control keyboards and cursors and stuff. And it is used sometimes for that. 
not, you know, well, I mean, like telepathy is a thing. You can move stuff with your brain if we put the right neural links in. So that's broadly what electroceuticals are. And I want to first talk about the article I read last week, and it's about a electroceutical company called Second Sight. And they work in giving people who are blind artificial vision. And I'm not electroceutical scientist. So I'm going to try to very oversimplify how this works. It's not sight as you and I think of sight. It's, um, but it is something that allows people who are blind to move about the world more freely. They have to learn how to use this vision, but it's super helpful. And all the people who have gotten this second sight implant in their eye report just huge improvement in life and freedom of what they can do. And it's a good thing. It's actually a very great technology. So basically Second Sight has something called the Argus and they're in the Argus too. And it is an implant in your brain and your eye. And it takes about four hours to surgically implant. And then the users also wear special glasses And those glasses have, or they're outfitted with a camera that sends video to a video processing unit. And that's usually attached somewhere on them like a belt. And that's something they have to carry around outside of their body. And so that video processing unit reduces the images the camera takes in to patterns of black and white pixels, simplifies them down and then sends those patterns back to a transponder in the glasses, which wirelessly beams them to an antenna on the outside of the eye. And from there, the signal goes to the electrode array attached to their retina. So the actual implant in their retina picks that up wirelessly, and that stimulates the eye in different patterns. Basically, it um, replaces photoreceptors in the eye so that they work in people who are blind. And it's really, it's life-changing. It's an amazing technology. Um, They're basically bionic eyes. And this article starts with a story of a woman who has them. She's going down the subway stairs. She went completely blind in her 30s. And this gave her this kind of crude bionic vision walking to get to the subway, but her, her vision stops working and she, that's not good. And she kind of went and tried to figure out what's happening. She went to her doctor and she learned that the company went out of business and no longer supports the technology. So this article is basically called their bionic eyes are now obsolete and unsupported. People are walking around with these implants in their eyes and they can't see anymore. They were given the gift of vision. And then because of capitalism, it was just taken away. And not just given the gift of vision, but robbed from the opportunity to learn other skills to cope with a life without vision, right? Like, right, right. I mean, they were all, it's, it was mainly for people. It worked best in people who went blind later in life. So they didn't, 
this is all this time they could have been learning, you know, yeah. other skills that would allow them to navigate their lives. Yeah. And this woman, it happened unexpectedly. Second sight, the company didn't inform its patients that they were going out of business, that they were shuttering. There was no letter, no email, no telephone call. The woman said, um, and she just tried for weeks to contact the company to say, why don't my eyes work? That's making me and feel physically sick to my stomach because how many things are going to be in the hands of private companies that we're depending on for it? It reminds me of, um, I can't remember where I read it, but it was, it was like a satirical magazine article about um, the nightmare of a smart house. But it wasn't like the like, oh, the robots are so smart and they've taken over. It was like, oh, I have all of these devices from three different brands right. that then merge with other brands. And now some of them communicate with each other and some of them don't. And some of them are outdated and some of them won't update. So sometimes the alarm just screams in a high-pitched scream and I can't get it to turn off. And sometimes the doors just open and shut on their own and I can't get them to stop. And like, like that's the more likely scenario. And it's true. We have, I, I have, um some smart lamps that whatever bulb or company or app, I don't know what part of the chain went out of business, but now I can't use any of those lights in my house. And, and you it's make very true. Huge, And then, then that pressures us to only ever make investments with companies that are already huge conglomerates because you can be like, right. well, you know, that's how we end up in the metaverse. Yeah. Yeah. This is how it happens. Because like you can't take a chance with something so either expensive or crucial or both with some little startup company that might end up folding in three years and leave you without lights or vision. Right. Yeah. It's I'm over here going, oh, it's really inconvenient. I can't turn my light on. But to not have that vision, like you said, and to be robbed of years and years, there was one man who lost sight in one eye in 2004 and got the implant. And then lost sight in his other eye in 2011 from this degenerative disease, got a second implant. So he had one in both eyes over a very long span, 24, 2004. And then they shuttered in 2020. That's 16 years of his life. I mean, it's like we all kind of joke and laugh about like, haha, the people who picked the Zune made the wrong choice. But what <laughs> if like every single thing that has to do with every single element of your life is going to be a choice like that. And we're not all going to make the right ones all the time. Man. I'm just shaking my head fast. This, this podcast has taken a dark. Time. I know. Welcome to our new podcast, dystopian <laughs> hellscaping. So it gets not worse, but there's just more because this reminded me. It gets that I read, more. <laughs> gets more. <laughs> More, worse is more. So in April, I read April of last year, I read an article um, from the New Yorker called Do Brain Implants Change Your Identity? These implants were um, implants. So I, I got it wrong. And I said that the implant for the eyes in your brain too, it's just in your retina. These are brain implants that um, were used to help people who suffered from epilepsy. And so they had an implant in the brain and then again, kind of through a wireless antenna signal, they had to carry around a pack with them that was about the size of two cell phones and they could wear it as a harness or put it on their belts, but that would tell them and alert them. It monitored their brain waves and 
would tell them when they were about to have a seizure. And so it was super, super helpful. And they learned so much about their brain patterns and when they had seizures, they learned one woman who only suffered from seizures, maybe once a month, it actually went off constantly. And she learned that she was having nonstop small seizures all the time, which was actually really helpful for her treatment. So not only did it help warn people so they could, you know, not be driving or they could sit down, but, um, it also helped to actually start treating in a deeper way. And probably just research in general into right. It was, it was wonderful for it. So this kind of follows one woman. She, her life was just vastly improved. And she says, quote, we were about the implant and the machine. We were calibrated together. We became one. I was the machine. The machine was me. And there was no difference. And she lived very happily for three years after the operation, her quality of life vastly improved. She had not really lived outside of her parents' home because it was so severe. So she moved out of her parents' home. She started dating, she got married. And then in 2013, her neurologist gave her bad news, which was that the company, which had these implants, was going out of business. They had run out of funding and were ceasing operations just like second sight. So they let her keep the implant as long as possible. But again, it was unsupported. It became a liability. These implants, if they're not being supported and updated, become actually really dangerous in your body and you should not have them in. Two years later, like I said, the philosopher professor at the University of Tasmania named Frederick Gilbert reached out to her. He had tracked down everyone who had been part of the study and had the implants and then lost them and wanted to do this interesting study about what does that do to people to have these kind of um, electroceutical implants. And it was really, really, so there's the horror, right? This isn't happening once or twice. This consistently happens where people get very helpful medical technology. And then because of lack of funding, it gets taken away from them. It's unsupported. But just to kind of finish out this really fascinating article, and I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, he did a long-term study of people who had these kinds of implants and other kind of deep brain implants, or even people who had deep brain stimulation from implants. And for the majority of patients who have these for various reasons, for seizures, for mental health issues, things like that, they are life-changing. And everyone who's done studies has done short-term studies and quality of life improves. But there was a longer study that he did. And basically after two years of having a brain implant, large percentage, 65% of patients had a breakdown in their marriages or other significant relationships. And 64% wanted to leave their careers afterwards. Their intellect their level of anxiety and depression were the same as before, or in the case of anxiety, sometimes it even improved, but they seem to experience just a fundamental estrangement from themselves. They were an entirely different person, but they also think part of this, it's not necessarily, oh, I'm a robot now, but part of this is because their quality of life improved so quickly 
that they had uncharacteristic buoyancy or confidence. One woman in the study said she felt 15 years younger and tried to lift a pool table and ruptured a disc in her back. Um, one man noticed that his newfound confidence was making life hard for his wife. She said he's too full on and they got a divorce. Um, and then another woman in the study became just radically impulsive and would do things like walk 30 kilometers to a psychologist appointment nine days after she had surgery. And a lot of these people were just said to be unrecognizable to their families. It's, it's literally flowers for Algernon. <gasps> flowers for Algernon is one of the short stories that I read as like a teen that just, it just made me, I mean, and I read, I read some gory, terrible, like terrible in the like, this is really horror centric, terrible things happen to people. Not like that it's terrible quality though. Probably some of that too, but like I, I was deep in like dark stuff, but flowers for Algernon is one of the stories that has most stuck with me as just like, Oh my gosh, that's awful. And this is what you are describing is literal real life yeah. flowers for Algernon. I think our fortune cookie is going to be very sad yeah. this time. But I don't have any th- way to wrap that up other than. Don't worry. I got us. Okay. Take it All away. Right. Plato's allegory of the cave. <laughs> tells us. Love it. Tells us that most of humanity is trapped in our chains of dishonesty. And all we can see are the flickers of shadows on the world on the wall that we cannot see the true forms casting the shadows. Plato made this argument as part of a larger argument against democracy, trying to convince us that the world should be ruled by philosophers who were the only people who had been able to free themselves of the chain and turn their heads, walk out of the caves, and see the true forms that were in the world. And so you peons staring at shadows who won't listen to me about the true forms should not be allowed to vote for your rulers because obviously you are not capable of making such decisions. Only I who have left the cave am capable of making good decisions. That is Plato's argument. Right. I was thinking about that recently because as I've mentioned multiple times now, it is just so long. It's a long slog through this material with these kids. I am reading the Sapiens novel, graphic novel with a group of like 10 to 14 year olds. And it has been so much fun and they are such smart kids and they give me so much hope for the world. And we are on the section in volume two that is about intersubjectivity. And I want to summarize Yuval Noah Harari's argument about intersubjectivity. I want to begin this by saying that Sapiens, both this graphic novel form and the original book, are works that I have found very enlightening and important and interesting. And I am about to disagree with something central to Yuval Noah Harari's argument, but I still think that these are worthwhile things. I hope that if you have not read them, you will read them. I'm not trying to attack the whole work as a whole. But so this is a section about objectivity, subjectivity, and intersubjectivity. So an objective fact is something that is a fact, whether people believe in it or not, right? If we all decide that the earth is flat, the earth continues to be round no matter what we think, right? It doesn't matter 
what we say about it, that is just a fact, right? Like we can think that humans need to breathe nitrogen, but they still need oxygen, right? Like that, like we can't, we don't change that with our thoughts. Then there are subjective truths that are individual truths that we do change with our individual thoughts. So if I think that teal is the best color, but at some point later in my life, I have a change of heart and I've decided the purple is the best color, my individual changing of my mind on this subjective truth changes the actual truth, right? Like I I get to, this is a matter of taste and opinion. Most of the things that we interact with on a day-to-day basis are intersubjective realities, which are realities that we, they're fictions that we have created in our minds, but we are sharing the fictional story so that we have agreed that they are real. If one of us stops believing in them, it doesn't matter. It continues to be real. But if enough of us stop believing in them, then it is no longer real and we can change it. This would be things like money, like any of our economic systems, things like religion, things like human rights, which are not a biological reality, as we have seen from the horrible times in our history when we did not uphold them, that they are not, if we stop believing in them, they can stop existing. Um, And so most of what we deal with on a day-to-day basis, most of the things we care about and talk about, at least, I, I guess, you know, if you deal fully in the hard sciences, then maybe you are dealing mostly with objective things, but I'm not because I don't do those. Um, so philosopher king, (laughs) most of what I deal with on a regular basis is in this intersubjective reality realm. Right. Yeah. So I am totally on board with all of those things. And whenever I read this section of say, which I've read sapiens, I've read the, the actual full text. Like, I think I've read this like twice or three times now and now I've read the graphic novel version so I I, every time I get to this point I'm like yeah yeah this is all really yes this is so important but then he just loses me because he says this is so you could see it here it's got the little this is uh Dr. Fiction comes to tell the kids all about yeah it's very nicely done this graphic novel right so um this is on page 107 of volume two of Sapiens a Graphic History Dr. Fiction has come to say how exactly do you get people to believe in an imagined order and he's juggling balls that say Christianity democracy and capitalism telling us you know these major systems that we believe in are actually uh in intersubjective realities that do not exist anywhere except for in people's minds. First of all, everyone concerned needs to believe that the imagined order is real, absolutely not imagined. You must never admit that a bunch of people invented it. You should insist that the order your society is based on is an objective reality created by great gods or laws of nature. Wouldn't you agree, Jefferson? And then he throws democracy to Thomas Jefferson. (laughs) all people are created equal right it was not i who said that it is self-evident how about you adam smith who he throws capitalism to is this i just i love i have not seen the graphic novel iteration of this and i couldn't i every time you've mentioned it i can't fathom how you do it i love how it's done it's it's very 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 well done whatever criticisms i have next i hope that like it doesn't apply to the it is a very well done. It is a very faithful adaptation that really does make it accessible to a much broader audience. And I think they did an excellent job with it. So he throws capitalism to Adam Smith and says, a free market is the best economic system, right? And Adam Smith says, I did not invent that rule. The invisible hand enforces it. The end of this section, there is this 
this image of Dr. Fiction sitting looking down over a metropolis. And I oh my gosh, know. but what is on Dr. Fiction's face, Michelle? Oh my, yeah, it's, it's, a v, it's a VR headset. Yeah. Yeah. A VR, yeah. Headset. VR headset. Um, and, and the little word bubble, I don't even know who it's coming from. I guess it's Harari, says there's no way out of the imagined order. If you break down your prison walls and run toward freedom, you're actually just running into a more spacious exercise yard in a bigger prison. So basically taking the idea of Plato's allegory of the cave and saying that Plato was wrong. You aren't just escaping from the cave and the shadows of the true forms on the wall. Plato was also looking at some other created intersubjective reality that there, he was also not seeing any true forms, which this is not groundbreaking stuff. If you study philosophy, right? The argument over whether there is a capital T truth or a little T truth. I mean, and what Plato is accessible said to us. that, right? right? Set first order, second order. We're always seeing second order because first order belongs to God, right? Right, right. So his, his accessibility was still a layer removed, but then yeah. you know, us enslaved in the cave are even seeing right. worse than that, just the shadows of the layer removed. But this idea that he's, he says here that an intersubjective reality can only be discarded if it is replaced by another intersubjective reality, which I'm on board with, that makes sense to me, um, but that it has to be rooted in this objective reality and that somehow that is a prison, I am not entirely on board with. So I was like, okay, this is the graphic novel version. Maybe I am, you know, maybe something got lost a little bit in translation. So I went back to the full text to make sure that I was not misconstruing. So I'm just going to read it from there. This is on page 112 of Sapiens, the full text in a section called the prison walls. So obviously still a close thing here. How do you cause people to believe in an imagined order such as Christianity, democracy, or capitalism? First, you never, emphasis mine, admit that the order is imagined. You always, emphasis mine, insist that the order sustaining society is an objective reality created by the great gods or by the laws of nature. So very faithful adaptation, kept, kept it in there. Yeah. Um, and then he says that there are three main factors that prevent people from realizing that the order organizing their lives exists only in their imagination. That is because imagined order has been embedded in the material world. He gives the example of like us believing in having an individual identity um, and that being shown, showing up in our architecture by having like bedrooms with doors that close where you get these private spaces. Um, he talks about how the imagined order shapes our desires by telling us like what kind of things we want in order to be happy, consumerism. And then he says that the imagined order is intersubjective so that even if one of us stop believing in it, it continues to exist without us, which gives us the impression that it is a reality because, oh, I stopped believing in it, but it's still there. So it must be there. Right. Right. So I've been thinking so much about this because it bothers me and I couldn't quite figure out why. Um, but I don't understand, I, I disagree that you can only create an intersubjective reality by pretending that it is based on an objective truth. And I think that we have so much Because evidence. I thought in the children's thing that was like utter sarcasm for some reason. Like, oh, we got to do this just to like remind them. Do you know oh, what I mean? Oh yeah, no, so no. That the, it's when sincere. You, when you read that verbatim from Sapiens, I'm like, oh. Yeah, no, it's, it's sincere that, that we are always basing our intersubjective realities on, and he does not talk about, at least not in this section, 
the fact that there are I mean, I think he he implies it because he's, he's like, oh, you know, people will go to war over their intersubjective beliefs. But obviously, that means that we're not all holding the same intersubjective beliefs at the same time, because right. the warring factions have different intersubjective beliefs. But if you carry that out to its logical conclusion, then there's these teeny tiny little bubbles of intersubjective realities. Right. Um, and I mean, the reason that this is the reason that I cannot get behind an intersubjective reality being something, being a prison is because language is an intersubjective reality and language is so damn much fun. And I yeah. just am not like, I just can't. Why get does he have to write? Why does he have to say prison like that? Right? Like how can, how can you go? We have the power to create whatever reality we want and then go, so it's a prison. Like I, like I just, I can't get there with you because, because if we have the power to create whatever reality we want, then we have the power to create something that isn't a prison, right? Like I, yeah. so I am, I have been, I've just been, I've been really, really, really thinking about what, this. What is, so how small can an intersubjective reality be? And I think that the way we can see that in a really clear way is through things like slang and memes, because you can have an intersubjective reality where you all understand the meaning of something in a small bubble, but nobody thinks that it came from a God or a natural order. Right. We know that it was created, right? So I gave a lecture on this to, again, that group of 10 to 14 year olds. And I was like, I'm going to, I disagree with Harari and I'm going to show you why. And I opened up TikTok and I went to the videos of the, have you heard the like, oh no, oh no, yes. oh yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah. That was the only one I could find that was child appropriate. I'm sure there I other- wondered, I saw you put out a call on Facebook that was time sensitive that you needed like appropriate TikTok things. I'm like, what is Michelle doing? I'm interested. <laughs> so this is what it was for. Um, Cause there are plenty of ones out there. Like the, um, have you, the, the thing that's like, even if you are not ready for the day, it cannot always be night. And then like the people like drop and they go from like not having makeup on to being really decked out. Um, so like these little audio clips that are being used outside of their original context in and they have become meaning for the communities that are using them, right? Like if you hear that little sound clip, it means, oh, somebody's about to transform. Like that's, that's what it means. Right. Now. Like they, they have created that meaning for it. Nobody thinks God created that meaning. Nobody thinks like, oh, this was written in some sacred text that when you hear this sound, yeah. it means there's a and, transformation. Like, I mean, that's what the, right. Isn't that what, <laughs> where the word meme originally comes from? It's like from Gene because oh, of is how it? Did these, yeah, the origin, the origin of meme is it's this, it's like, it's like a, it's like genes, but for thoughts, like, how do they spread? How do we pass them on? Um, that it is like this very real thing that is transferred from person to person, like genetics. And then it defines things in that way. And I just, I think that it is, I feel inspired by it because I just think he's wrong. I think he's wrong that intersubjectivity is a prison because I think intersubjectivity is all we have, right? Like it's so as it's it's yeah, it's it's what it, the the term prison makes me so mad because I understand like oh Plato's cave, but if you just run out to another prison and another prison and another prison and 
your argument then is there is no inherent reality. Well, it's like you said, then we make the first reality and why do we have to fucking make it a prison? Do you know what makes me so upset about it? I've, I've been, I've been thinking about this so much and I'm like, why am I so upset about this? Like, so what if they want to think that their inner subjective reality is a prison? Are you just getting defensive because you want to believe that your inner subjective reality is somehow not a prison? And I'm like, no, of course not. I am totally not like I, yeah, this is a dark hellscape and I'm part of it. So yeah, sure. Um, like that's not it. Like I'm not getting defensive no. on my own behalf, but what yeah. it is, is I feel like if you are able to say, oh, it's all just trading one prison for another, you've excused yourself from having to admit that some inner subjective realities have an impact on people in a way that has real bodily impacts on them, right? Like it's not just trading, trading out the inner subjective reality that told us it was okay to enslave people for an inner subjective reality that told us it wasn't, is not just trading one prison for another. It isn't like that. And, and it is, immoral and unethical to pretend that it is like to pretend that these are not real impacts on real lives and saying it's just trading it out for one prison for another lays the groundwork for something like the metaverse right because you're like well what difference exactly exactly yeah and i'm just i'm just not not only am i not okay with it from a practical standpoint but i just don't think that's true i just i do not think that the ability to make the world what we want through our collective interactions with each other is a negative thing. I don't think it's necessarily a positive thing, but I think it is a neutral thing. Like I think that yeah. we, we, and so to make this more researchy research, I, um, I tried to look up some stuff on this, but I, I need to, it, it, the search terms did not come easy. So I ended up in, I want to give credit to this um, I think this might might just be an undergraduate student's paper for like the University of Heidelberg. I don't know where that is. Isn't um, that Germany? I don't know. But it is called Inner Subjectivity, the Limits of Knowledge and the Power of Bullshit. And it looks like they probably read um, Harari's Sapiens in a scientific computing class, which is interesting to me in itself. Um, and this is this is the student's smart, interesting paper on it. And so I just wanted to give credit to this student for help because this is how I was like, I was just searching for things. And um, Claire, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Zhao Sun is the student's paper from 2019 that um, I ended up using some of the references from this to kind of get further into it. And so this student's paper is looking at Harari's, this this section about intersubjectivity and reality in Harari and is mostly just interested in like why people are willing to believe lies. And um, I think that's an interesting, I think that's an interesting way to think about this, right? And so, um, but their research goes into some discussions of language usage. And one of the people they cite is a person named uh, Tom Scott Phillips who is a language evolution and computation researcher. And he has a theory of language evolution that says that we only evolved to speak so we could deceive people because it doesn't make sense. So there's a there's an altruistic theory of language that says that like we evolved language so we could share information with each other. But he says that the observations are hard to explain within an altruistic framework 
On the contrary, they appear decidedly selfish. If that were not the case, then we would compete to be heard. Then we would not compete to be heard, at least not to the same degree. Yielding the floor would be selfish, and turn-taking rules would regulate whose turn it is to receive valued information. Of course, all this leaves open the question of what the benefit to the speaker might be. And so he believes that speaking is a selfish behavior and that one of the reasons <laughs> that we evolved to speak is so that we can deceive each other. And I... Do you know what, though, when you were talking about, oh, we communicate and I'm like, well, have you heard of this example of like, what is language, right? And what's communication amongst different animals of um, a certain kind of primate that lives in the rainforest and they have a different sound. They have different sounds. There's um, like a bird coming to attack you versus there's a panther coming to attack you so that they know the monkeys know, do we climb a tree? Do we run down a tree? And all these different threats, they have different communicative noises for it. It's not just, it's a threat. It's a threat. It's they say threat. what the threat is. And so it was like a super exciting, this researcher was in the forest and he was listening to the monkeys. And all of a sudden he heard um, the threat for, oh, it's like, it's a panther or whatever. And he realized that as he moved, the sounds of the monkeys moved and it was, it was, he was able to realize he was being stalked. And it was like, that probably saved his life that he could understand the monkeys, but he kept researching those monkeys. And that was a very cool story in and of itself. But then they kept researching their, those monkeys. And some of them would make the noise when there wasn't a threat so that they could like get food to themselves to be like, oh, but birds coming, everyone get out of the trees. And now so I get to eat all the good bananas or whatever. And I think that what makes me so interested but in is it, is it deception or is it to do the intersubjectivity of just shaping our reality? So I think that a lot of people are interpreting that as deception because they see an intersubjectivity as a lie because you have because you're you're operating off the premise that you have to say it as an objective truth. But if you can just detach from that, if you can just detach from that always never language that he uses, because I'm obviously, obviously we do have intersubjective realities created out of people saying that it came from an objective fact, right? Clearly, I'm not, but if you just removed the always and never, and you were like, right? hey, sometimes we create intersubjective realities just because we feel like it. Like, I genuinely thought he was being sarcastic. Just oh fun. God. And so like, and, and, and this is what we ended up talking about with, I mean, let me tell you what this group of 10 to 14 year olds knows, because I think they're pretty smart. What they ended up talking about was how like, you can't ever know what you put out there might go viral, right? Like you can't know what little clip or what little thing you yeah. do might become an intersubjective reality. So you have a responsibility to be careful about what you put out into the world because it could spread. That's really, that gives, that gives me hope for the future too, then. They really, they're a hopeful group. They, they, they make me, they. Well, they have a good teacher. Helping. Oh, it's true. I just think everyone and the whole world would be better if, like, just the concept of truth didn't exist. If we could just get that out of our heads. Like, look, we're what we've got. Like, quit trying right. to find. <laughs> can that? This can that is, just? Is that our fortune cookie? Yeah, quit. Quit. <laughs> it is. Quit sticking shit on your face to go to different places. 
this is it. Because <laughs> if you keep doing that, this is going to get worse. And that then that will be what you got. And it's just going to go from there. I, Stick with I think, what you got. I think maybe, maybe our, well, we should probably do the recap, but I think, okay. I think I have one that might work. <laughs> Great. this this one i think it feels like we cheated it It we did i i accidentally mine went together really well just because i've been thinking about this subject so much that i think i kept seeing it everywhere but yours also fit very well it feels and i think the butler one fits too so i actually do think butler's i think (laughs) okay so to recap my weird recap my weird thing was very related to this oh my gosh kicked it off with george washington went to his grave not knowing dinosaurs existed. My weird thing was the nocebo effect, the opposite of the placebo effect. Your brain can make you think you're sick, even though you didn't take anything that could cause a side effect. And my pop culture thing was Butler's in Love, the propagandistic Hallmark film. And mine was that horrendous MetaQuest 2 commercial. Um, my research thing was about electroceuticals, which are basically implants that can really, really help people's lives, but then cause capitalism be just ripped away from them. And mine was Harari's claim that intersubjectivity is always based in objective truth and my rejection of that. You know, our reality isn't, it doesn't have to be a prison. I, mean, I think, I think. What if our little fortune cookie is you're already here? <gasps> I love that. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you an old broken down robot? Well, that's what you are. <laughs> you're already here. You're already here. <laughs> oh, are you not a butler and you dream to go to butler school, but you're not good at it and you'd rather be in love? You're already here. You're that's already here. Story. It works. It works. <laughs> this is a stretch um i mean i think i think it works for oh are you trying to ignore the fact that we're either going to replace human labor with robots and have no good economic system to allow for that or that we're all going to be the butlers for the extreme elite well you're already here so you're already here that movie yeah the movie simultaneously (laughs) felt like nostalgia and future propaganda so you're you're You're, looking past and present or looking past and future when like no like why don't you do something with the here right you're You're, already here are you going to already here yeah so yeah i think that works for everything yeah i think that's a really good one you're already here so put the effort in because you're already here and you're doing this for an improved future but you got to do it right now in the present like you've got to you got to show up today we could sit and think about like, what would it be like to be existing in a different time to not know about the dinosaurs to, you know, have a different set of realities around us. But it's, this is, these are the ones we've got. So we could change them, here. but we have to change them from where we are. Right. right. You have to change them. And then, yeah, I love it. You're already here. done take it out in the world whatever 
I feel like then I have something really funny and stupid to say when we end this, but I don't want to this time because just let it go because and then you can play candy shop. I that's okay. Sometimes (laughs) we disagree. Sometimes we disagree and that's okay. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. (laughs) Let us know what you think of the 50 50 cent song candy shop. Not if you want to maintain any connection with me. Be careful. You're cutting me off. (laughs) Not you. But some of these other people, I don't have as much, I don't have as much invested in. (laughs) If you have not been friends with Michelle since the third or fourth grade, watch it. Watch it. Begear on some thin ice. A lot of roots to to play that dangerous (laughs) game. That storm. (laughs) Okay. Now there we go, cackling off into the night. Good night. Go ahead, girl, don't you stop. Keep going to you. Spot.